Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the greatest generation. It's a new start. No, it's not. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Worlds collide. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I, I think that that was a fair mistake because we just recorded a little pickup for our other smash hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Discovery, right before we started on today's episode. We had we had some erroneous information in the last episode. We just needed to we needed to fix it. We had this had to set the record straight as we often do. Uh, yeah. If anyone listens to the very end of the episode, you'll find a lot of corrections yes. back behind the credits, uh, <laughs> read in the micro machine's voice mm-hmm. to yeah. to squeeze them all in. Yeah, it's the fine print of audio, the micro machine's voice. I'm wondering if I'm fucking up so much already today because I've been drinking poison. What have you been drinking? What's poisoning you? I made myself an, an iced coffee uh-huh. uh, before getting on because when we record in the afternoons, that's usually afternoon coffee time for me. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I poured myself a big mug of iced coffee. I added just a, just a blip of simple syrup, uh-huh. gave it a swish, threw in some ice and I'm good to go. And I didn't notice until I took it to the dome. Uh, that syrup was moldy. Oh man. no. <laughs> moldy syrup. And I'm usually like, like hot tip. Uh, you want to put a shot of vodka in your simple syrup if you can. Yeah. Cause it, cause it helps to, uh, helps it last a little longer. Here's another hot tip, Adam. If you do two cups of sugar to one cup of water, that will also make it last longer. And if you combine those two things, it lasts forever. Wow. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. That's ordinarily that'd be something I would learn from a let's drink about it program or or similar. <laughs> but yeah, so I I've been drinking mold today and mm. it made me wonder, Ben, what is the moldiest or most spoiled thing you've ever consumed <laughs> and then what happened to you? I don't know if I've ever gotten sick from a thing that was moldy and known it was because of that i i'm like a total cut a a bit off of a thing and still eat it if it's got mold on it guy yeah to a point where like my wife has has been like extremely dismayed to see me like plow through some leftovers that you know she she would have thrown away and i wouldn't uh-huh. But I'll tell you, I uh, I was sick a couple of weeks ago, as uh, as many people know. I, got, I was, like, super-duper sick in bed for a week, and... Many people continue to diagnose you. I know. It's it's uh, it's, it's, it's very fun to be told I yeah. had COVID, even though I've tested negative several times. <laughs> um, uh, maybe I did. I don't know. I'm... Uh, either way, I'm not sick anymore, so... That, but thank you for your concern. Um, but... Uh, I made uh, dinner the other night, and it, I realized, like, when I sat down, it was uh, it was Beyond Burgers with Brussels sprouts as a as a side, like brus- sautéed Brussels sprouts with garlic as a side. Sounds like a gassy combination. I sat down in front of the plate and realized that it was the exact configuration of foods that I had made the night before I woke up very sick. 
and I could not, wow. I couldn't get through it. I like, I could take, I, I cut the burger in half. I took like four bites and I was like, I'm, I'm too grossed out to, to pr- proceed any further. Your body really remembers that kind of trauma in an interesting way. It's one yeah. of the reasons I can't drink Coors Light beer. It's because wow. I century clubbed that beer and my body oh, henceforth yeah. was like, we're not going to do that again. That's one of the most right-wing consumer dollars you can spend in the United States uh, with the Coors Company. They've, they're big supporters of the John Birch Society. So oh. you're, you're gain, man. All right. Don't drink that junk. I have plenty of other junky beers to drink. If, <laughs> if that's what I'm into. There's there's no shortage of porch beer options, that's for yeah, sure. That's uh that's like one of the prime types of American beer. And now that microbrews have finally gotten with the program and are and are making more and more porch beers these days. Yeah. Uh, I'm a happy guy. That's a nice move by the microbrews. Like make a porch beer that is slightly more interesting than a macro but still crushable yeah. as hell. Don't give me too much taste. <laughs> um, dial it back on that. One one thing that has resulted from my having been very sick is that I like accidentally went two weeks without having any alcohol. So I was like, wow, I'm like well into January without having had any alcohol. I might as well just make this a dry January. And that's where you're at. That's where I'm at. And then I realized today wow. there's a very strong likelihood that the game of buttholes... The will of the prophets will fuck my dry January up before it is over. And uh, I think that the game of buttholes is in charge on this one. Not going to drink for fun, but I'll drink for work. (laughs) I mean, and in that case, it doesn't count, right? Yeah, of course not. (laughs) Like, there are lots of people in in my family that have addiction issues. And I never drank until I was of legal drinking age because I was really scared of it. And I... I entered the waters of consuming alcohol very delicately because I did not want to find that I had an addictive relationship with it. And I guess maybe the instinct is just like reprove to myself that that's the case. But also, I mean, like, I know, <laughs> you know, the the rule with addiction is that you do things that like fuck up other parts of your life to get more. And I, that's just never been... The, the relationship I had with with booze, right? Because you and I can can always access as much as we need. <laughs> <laughs> There's never any trade off there. Yeah, yeah, it's an abundance issue for us. <laughs> yeah, right. That's how we know it's not a problem. Uh, yeah, it is a lot like uh, the Star Trek franchise itself. Yeah. Right. We could quit any time. Abundance, not a problem. Uh, what we're here to litigate is the quality of that product. Yes. And uh, and we might as well get started with today's episode, Ben. I'm into it. It's season seven, episode 23, Extreme Measures. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. So Gene Hackman kills a unhoused person and then uh, puts, puts their body up on a gurney and then takes them to some weird, like, like speakeasy morgue, right? Yeah, yeah. You're like, we should is... turn this episode into what we remember about Extreme Measures, the mid-90s movie. Yeah. 
Like, why is it such grainy film stock? Do they think that that makes it look cool? Because it just kind of makes it look more like a B-movie, which it already weirdly feels like, despite Gene Hackman being in it. What it really is is a morality play <laughs> between two different kinds of medical professionals. Yeah. One who's who's willing to sacrifice today for a better future. Right. And the other, the, the Hugh Grant character, is like... Uh, no, man, this is inhumane. We have these ethics for a reason. Yeah. So did you like this episode? You really want to do this here. Now, okay, okay, let's do it. <laughs> you know, that's actually on theme for this episode in a lot of ways, that yeah. do we sacrifice our principles now for a better future? Right. Because the medical professional in question here is one Dr. Julian Bashir, and his patient is Odo. Uh, Mr. Bunker. Who is so close to death that they've proactively put him in a torpedo tube. <laughs> I got to say, if I were ever in the hospital for any length of time and I woke to find myself just in a body bag half zipped up <laughs> while a doctor continued to work on me, I wouldn't have a good feeling about my outcomes. Yeah. I guess this thing is supposedly stabilizing him, but... Uh, there's like he really wants to know like what's the trend line like if you can if you can plot out how badly I'm falling apart here and tell me how much time I have left that's exactly the information I want to know and Bashir declines to speculate on that a week maybe two why don't you spring for the good stuff Bashir <laughs> the pure <laughs> aloe vera that you can only get in Hawaii and hot weather countries <laughs> I'm not talking about that fake gel that's neon green that you see in the end cap at a CVS during no. the summer. I'm talking about like the $20 a bottle stuff you get behind the counter. What about a gold bond medicated lotion? Would that help? I said it should have some lanolin in it, not some goddamn aloe vera bullshit, motherfucker. Yeah, I think part of the reason he's in the torpedo is for easy cleanup, you know? <laughs> like, because the torpedo is kind of bowl-shaped, obviously, yeah, it, and the- concave, uh, it's gonna contain. The casket is open in such a way that, that like, anything that flakes off of him is just gonna fall har harmlessly inside. They don't even need to pull another sheet of paper across a bio bed. It's a no muss, no fuss. We've watched changelings die before, and it seems like they tend to explode. So what, what do you think they're expecting to happen if Odo were to succumb to his disease? Probably just flake into, into dead leaves, right? And then close yeah. up the torpedo and that's that's the thing it does seem to be like reinforced there's like ribbing on the side so maybe yeah. maybe they're just trying to like direct the explosion <laughs> into the into the tube god i wish so bad that that was the certainty like yeah. all like changelings explode upon death <laughs> it's like that reinforced concrete bowl that the bomb squad sometimes uses <laughs> you know like if they know something's gonna go off and they don't have any way to like to like defuse it in time they put it in that bowl doctor why are you wearing a full body suit <laughs> why do you have those wire cutters Bashir what are you doing let me emphasize Odo that I haven't given up hope he wants to see Kira uh, who throughout this entire scene I was like where is she like I'm looking all around the bedside I'm not seeing her uh, she had to wait outside but yeah. she's not far away and she comes in and she does that nice thing that people who love a sick person do, like 
they walk into the hospital room and they're she's like uh how's my flaky little guy doing <laughs> my my crusty little breadstick <laughs> my my crunchy little scone that's a big pile of autumn leaves that I'd love to just leap into right there. <laughs> How's my dry bowl of cereal doing? <laughs> you know you're my raisin brand, don't you? <laughs> you know it. <laughs> he uh, basically kicks her off the station. If she has her way, she is staying by his side until the end. And he... Like, A, would like her to be much more focused on helping the Cardassian resistance, and B, does not want the last thing he sees before he shuffles loose this mortal coil to be grief on Kira's face. This is a great moment for uh, Rene Auberginois. Like, I really had some feels here. It's hard not to put yourself in his place just thinking about you know, so much of my life, Ben, has been about trying not to be a burden on other people. Mm-hmm. So, like, when I saw what he was trying to do, I was like, yeah, man, I get that completely. But also, it's an example of an actor knowing, probably, so many times you get this scene where it's like that that scene in the movie where someone nurses an animal back to health and has to release them into the wild and has to, like, yell at it yeah. to set it free. Get out like, of here! Right, but this never feels that way. Yeah. And I think it's because of the quality of the actors and the acting in the scene. It's really nicely done. I agree. I also liked how much of the history of the characters is baked into it. Like he talks about her losing Burial, like in the same room. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking about like the real lived experience of this character and not creating a haunted place for her in the future. Isn't that my choice? She agrees to what he asks. Yeah. Uh, If you love someone, go away. (laughs) Set yourself (laughs) free, I guess. Right. (laughs) If you go back, you didn't actually listen to what they were saying. Yeah. I think that's how the saying goes, right? Yeah. If you go back, why are you being such a selfish jerk? I know why the uncaged bird sings. Because she won't have to look at me dying. (laughs) I'm concerned about seeing the pain in her eyes and also the fear moments before I explode. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing that I could take her with me. Uh, One of the grossest kisses in Star Trek history. She she kisses him goodbye, even though he's super flaky. It's like when you uh, when you bite into a powdered donut and your face is covered in in powdered sugar. <laughs> Kira Kira pulls away from the kiss and it looks like she's uh, braided her face with glue and then taken a dive into a pile of dead leaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. She walks down the promenade and Chief O'Brien sees her and he's like, "Oh, she must have had one of them deluxe jumbo sticks." Outside, it's O'Brien and Garrick left to brief Cisco. On, uh, on the status of the Breen weapon. Not a lot of good news about what's going on here. Yeah. Garrick and, and Kira have to kind of cut loose because they uh, they have to slip past a lot of Jem'Hadar patrols to get back to Resistance HQ. Good hunting to you both. And, uh, and so they're off. And, uh, and this, this McLaughlin group one. kind of changes configurations because now it's Bashir and O'Brien there talking to Cisco about 
what their big diabolical plan is, w slash r slash t section 31. We believe that they were responsible for infecting Odo in the first place. What? I feel like if we were ever to do an award show for DS9, Avery Brooks's take of what? What? <laughs> so good. Is an all-timer. An all-time single word line read. What? Yeah. It's in, it's incredible. His jaw is on the fucking floor. He is gobsmacked by this because it's like it's so it's so interesting to me because like nobody ever says this but what O'Brien and Bashir have set about doing is a perfectly section 31 style plan. Yeah. It's like we're going to use illegal technology. We're going to spread misinformation. We're going to lure this guy here and torture him until we get the information inside his head. We're going to like completely throw all of the rules, regulations, ethics and morals out the window uh, in order to in order to trap Sloan and get the get the solution to Odo's problem. And at the end of the scene, Cisco's like, well, it's a, any number of crimes, but I guess it's what we have to do because it's already in motion. Yeah. I, I mean, this is also coming from a guy who not quite explicitly told Worf to kill Gowron in the last <laughs> right. episode, you know? Yeah. And isn't this the version of Cisco that I think we were promised at the end of In the Pale Moonlight, right? The guy who may feel justified in in taking a path like this yeah absolutely i mean like the last time we saw sloan it was clear that like you can't like you can't go for help when section 31 is in play nobody nobody like if if you start asking for help in starfleet people will hear that are in a position to make it harder not easier for you to get help and and so you kind of have to go outside the law in order to do it. But I don't know. Like, I, I thought a lot about what could be done with this episode. And, and this is the episode about saving Odo. And I wondered if, since this is the end run of the last season, what if it's kill Odo and then Starfleet has this horrible, like, xenocide on its record and people have to deal with that like isn't that also an interesting story to tell here hearing you say that almost makes me want more runway and a season eight because (laughs) isn't it interesting like how how neutrally starfleet has treated odo almost from the start right they don't really consider him an ally they don't really consider him a threat as a utility, I think he's got such possibilities, possibilities that really go unrealized for most of the series. Right. It's part of the reason that we're in this place with him and in the show, right? Is because they just sort of kick the Odo can down the road. And now right. I guess we'll let him die because we haven't really cared that much about him up until now anyway. It's a strange indifference. Yeah, Uh, a very, like, cold indifference. Yeah, and I wonder if the show had done more work up until now in increasing his value to the extent that we've got to save his life, and we have a very strong group of voices on the station going, we've got to do all that we can, and a counter-argument that says he's a huge threat that would make this conflict juicier than it is. 
because mm-hmm. no one's talking to each other. It's just whisper between Bashir O'Brien and Cisco, and then what may or may not be happening at Starfleet HQ. Totally. I mean, like liking Odo and having him be like part of the team on Deep Space Nine is enough for me to believe that these characters will do almost anything to save his life. Right. But I I thought that a bigger story could be told. I'm not saying I, do, I dislike this episode. I'm just saying like they, they could have gone so many other ways with it. And I think it's interesting that this is what they chose. So the plan to lure someone from Section 31 is still the plan. Like the first idea, best idea is what they're going to go with. And the plan is for Bashir to get this person on the station and then use a clip show device that he stole from the Romulans to get the information from them about uh, the ingredients for the cure. Since they're illegal in the Federation, I'll assume that's another reason you didn't come to me. He says, I don't think that this has a great chance of working and it's illegal and immoral, but go ahead. After the theme, I had the thought, why does O'Brien even wear a uniform anymore? Like, <laughs> are we sure he's on duty here? We should catch up with Rom doing all of his work. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> his life is a living hell now. I haven't seen Lita in weeks. And uh, like, I'm just elbow deep in, in the warp cores of different birds of prey all the time. Yeah. And nobody is even like helping run the schedule for my team because... The chief engineer is AWOL. Yeah, and if he's not AWOL, he's playing darts. Uh, that's where he finds Bashir after hours at Quark's. Bashir is broken yeah. into his favorite bar, uh, an action that I personally was very jealous of, really. <laughs> like, get some after-hours time at a bar. Have you ever done that? That's that's some of the best time. Well, when I used to work at a bar, I would, uh, I would oh, enjoy yeah. the after-hours quite a bit. Uh, you know, going home at like 7 a.m. after you... After you clock out at 4.30 because you closed at 4 is uh, yeah. it's fun stuff. That's a late night. That's when I knew I was in with uh, with our favorite bartender in Seattle. When, uh, when the sign turned and the door got locked and I found myself inside still. <laughs> That's good stuff. How'd you get in? This scene made me wonder when is the last time Bashir slept. Yeah. Because the last episode was about how he's been pulling like all-nighter after all-nighter four all-nighters in a row and now here he is it's it's after hours at quarks quarks has got to have a late closing time right yeah you know they're going off of uh new york city closing time hours and not seattle closing time hours (laughs) and uh and there bashir is he he uh tosses off a line that the lock was not very complex which we know to be False. We know that the lock on Quarks is extremely complex, mm-hmm. and he's he's like doing that the dart throwing of a man who is convicted in how important it is going to be to destroy Section Thirty One. He's doing the kind of dart throwing that you imagine would feel very good if you were upset, but would be so destructive in yeah. <laughs> in the wall, in anything around the dartboard. It uh, it does cut to the wall at one point, and Bashir on like a dot matrix printer has printed out a picture of Sloan and put it up over the dartboard. Yeah, and it is just Swiss cheese. <laughs> Bashir makes the case in this scene that I think is is pretty elegant. Like he makes the case against conspiracies existing in the first place, because for something like 
what's going on here to have happened, the amount of people involved would have had to have been large enough to make it impossible to keep such a secret. Right. That's the the gymnastics he's doing in his mind. Like, it just right. doesn't You're telling quite... me no one of these 73 people ever got drunk and, like, bragged about it to their buddy? Right. Or anything? Right. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma! Well, you won't get any argument from me on that. Like, you know what's going to melt Odo? Jet fuel. <laughs> and lots of it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because, like, Bashir seems, like, very fixated on, like, we've got to bring 31 down. And O'Brien is, is like, hey, remember Odo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we got to save that guy. And then, if it's possible, bring 31 down. And Bashir's like, right, right, right. Prize on the eyeball, Bashir. Yeah. This is a good scene for O'Brien, though. This is why they work so well together. There's a compatibility. Mm-hmm. And O'Brien doesn't have anything else to do, so he might as well. When Bashir goes to bed that night, he wakes up with Sloane at his bedside, which begs the question, has anyone who Sloane appeared at bedside with jacked it since the first time he did that like (laughs) if you knew someone could appear at any time i think i'd take a break until i knew what was going on i would definitely be lights on jacking it in that case because i would want to know to be able to throw a blanket over myself right if and when i started to see a transporter beam start to materialize you know, as much as we're making the case that it's it's shocking and horrible for the people that Sloan pops in on, imagine how awful it is for Sloan. He's seen awful things. Yeah, the worst things. Which I'm happy to see you swallowed. It's no wonder he's so radicalized. <laughs> like he's got he's got this like totally skewed sample of people at their worst. That's when he always sees them. You know, he's the sort of guy that they made eight millimeter about. Bashir has basically set up a mousetrap for Sloan. Bashir like hits the lever and it causes a ball to go down a chute and, you know, hit a croquet mallet that knocks into a post that a net is on and that falls on Sloan. And, uh, and Sloan is trapped. It's some kind of force field here. And, and the game is afoot. You've got me. I love that uh, he has to drop the force field then after they've like monologued at each other for a second to phaser Sloan. Yeah, that's big fun. And then Sloan wakes up in a bio bed underneath another force field. Yeah. And this is great. It's a a very complicated system of force fields and phasers. I love a bad guy yelling at the guy who's trapped him from within the force field. Sloan is super pissed. (laughs) Yeah, and threatening, like, O'Brien's family and stuff. Like, real depraved shit. O'Brien's like, I don't know who you're talking about, and I know the viewers don't know who you're talking about either. (laughs) What, you mean that off-screen character that occasionally sends crab rolls to us? We can get crab rolls all kinds of places, dude. Yeah. I was positive before this happened that Sloan would have a cyanide tooth. Damn! I was just, I thought they were lucky that it wasn't a, uh, a Duke Leto tooth where he exhaled and like nearly killed O'Brien or something. Right. Sloan sees the, the hypocrisy of this scene. The hypocrisy that is suggested in that earlier scene between O'Brien, Bashir, and Cisco is actually uh, described here by Sloan. That's a little ungallant, isn't it? Before he chews on his tooth. He has sort of scrambled his hard drive. Much much like when you uh, 
have a data a data emergency you've uh, you've accidentally wiped the wrong memory card and and that shot you can't get again was on the memory card that got wiped you gotta you gotta get that you gotta go download that software that's one hundred dollars <laughs> just to see if there's any hope of recovering the file I'm getting it's fucking chills. corrupted hearing you describe this but there's never any hope ben you're never getting that shot back no you could send it to one of those services but give me a break that's not happening the consequence is that he's gonna live but only for an hour so there we're setting up an artificial countdown here for the rest of the yeah they need a uh, they need a device to go into the brain and this made me think this would be a great opportunity to bring back the underutilized x-men no shit. They're great at making brain probing machinery. Should keep one of them around or all of them. Yeah. I love how there's a there's a pregnancy to the moment of like, well, we're we're doing real damage here. Do we just let him die in peace or do we uh, continue down this road? And Bashir's like, well, have you seen the movie Extreme Measures? <laughs> <laughs> because an argument between Gene Hackman and Hugh Grant uh, might be related to what we're going through here. It's tempting. You might see it on a streaming service and be like, what is this mid-90s Gene Hackman, Hugh Grant movie that I've never even heard about? Maybe I'll give this a watch tonight. And then you'll be like, what am I watching? (laughs) And that's sort of the question that they keep asking themselves for the rest of this episode, because they've got 43 minutes, one, one episode of television to get in, find the cure and get out. They've got to go brain spelunking. If we're lucky enough to make it to a, another Max Phone Drive with the greatest generation, uh, I think <laughs> a great reward would be a donor-only feed episode of the greatest generation doing extreme measures that Gene Hackman <laughs> Hugh Grant movie. Oh, yeah, that would really motivate people because, because that has such a beloved following. <laughs> we're making that canonical greatest gen. <laughs> If we get 10,000 new and upgrade... <laughs> Someone over at uh, Amazon Prime is looking at the data and, and they're like, uh, hey, boss, <laughs> something, something really crazy is going on with the metrics for the mid-90s Gene Hackman, Hugh Grant movie, Extreme Measures. We can't explain this. It usually gets zero views and now it's getting some views. <laughs> it's showing here that it's gotten three views. <laughs> That's over 300% more views than it normally gets. (laughs) This has to be a mistake. All of uh, Amazon Web Services goes down as they, like, pull the the servers apart trying to find where the error is coming from. (laughs) You don't understand. This is impossible. We get a really fun set of cross dissolves here as we go through the process of possibly extending Sloan's life, getting him to wear the clip show headband. Yeah, a second bigger clip show device is brought in. It's kind of a clip show sweatband. It's so it's so yeah. thick. He's a maniac, maniac <laughs> on the bio bed, and he's dying like he's never died before. Right. As Bashir describes it, uh to and O'Brien, who is trying his hardest not to laugh. (laughs) 
The plan is to walk around Sloane's mind as if it were real. You've explained it to me three times and I still don't get it. Uh, sure, there could be some dangers involved. Uh, mm-hmm. But before Bashir can finish describing the situation, O'Brien has volunteered to go with. Volunteered so fast that he's not going to tell his wife, his kid, or anyone else on the station that that's what he's going to do. You just have to trust me, Chief. He's going to hop right in there and be the uh, Sundance to Bashir's Butch Cassidy. Yeah. They, uh, they're going on an adventure inside the mine, and they, they lie down themselves and put on their own clip show devices and jack into the Sloan tricks. They're missing someone as a part of this team. Ben. They're missing the body person, the guy who's in the room monitoring their vitals. I feel like Christopher Nolan watched this episode and stole its premise and made Inception and made that key improvement that yeah. one person stays awake and and has the has the silver briefcase and pushes the button or or tips you into the tub when they need to. Flatliners did it first. Like you need someone with the paddles. Yeah. Gotta have those paddles. I love how Bashir's like, when O'Brien presses him on how they uh, they Sloan and program if they wanted to leave his brain, Bashir's like, yeah, I can just raise my blood pressure or something and that'll break the spell and that'll get us on out of there. And O'Brien totally believes it. Seems pretty believable. It's like, cool, so we don't have to like play old Edith Piaf records or anything. It's all very simplistic. They materialize inside. I'm in a strange man, surrounded by strangers in a strange room. Then they are in a Deep Space Nine turbo lift, which is falling rapidly, and they think they're gonna die, and then they don't. Are you sure? That's so interesting that, uh, that you're a turbo lift falls person, because when I watched this scene, I thought they were going up too fast. I guess the you know, smashing against the ceiling and smashing against the floor would have the same cat foodification effect. You know, it just stands to reason when you and I look at a turbo lift moving super fast, you're a <laughs> turbo lift moves down and I'm a turbo lift moves up. Yeah. That's why we work so well together. Yeah. <laughs> you're really the yin to my yang. It's weird. It's like a cut to commercial and then they're not going super fast. Right. <laughs> I wish that the turbo lift had open sides so you get the wind effect. That would have been good. They're very ginger about like letting go of the guardrails and the doors open and uh, they're met by a much softer side of Sloan. Welcome. He's kind of dressed like Picard getting ready to go on vacation here and perfectly happy to uh, to host them and... Would would even like to tell them the cure to the to the disease that Odo has, but when he tries, his his words come out scrambled. Believe me, I want to tell you what you need to know. Then tell us. I can't. I can't. There's a threatening feeling to knowing a person or a character as a bad person, and for that person to treat you kindly. Yeah. That they are doing here because uh, this is nice, Sloan. This is Sloan out of the leather and into a, uh, a natural garment. Yeah. Uh, this is Sloan with a wife and a child. A Sloan being praised by his friends and family and then eulogizing himself in such a way that is almost more ominous and threatening than a yeah. man in leather waking you up from a slumber. I mean, it's. I would feel very upset if 
as Sloan does to Bashir and O'Brien. Somebody said that they'd like me to come to a party and it turns out to be them hosting their own funeral. Yeah. <laughs> Very awkward. And weird that weird that it's like him taking this opportunity to apologize to his loved ones and family for devoting himself to his work. He tells his wife, I told you when we got together, baby, you were going to share me with every unethical act to advance the cause of the Federation. Sloan turns to Bashir and O'Brien and he's like, you can walk around in my mind. You can ride my turbo lift. But you cannot watch my motherfucking television set. <laughs> You can enjoy my postmodernistic bullshit space station. Oh, yeah, I made Ralph fuck you because it makes me feel good. Uh, we learned that his first name is Luther. I don't know. Did, did we learn that when he was pretending to be a, a cartographer? I think so. Yeah. Ever since I watched the, uh, the hit BBC series Luther starring Idris Elba, uh, I always pronounce that word Lufa. <laughs> I never watched that, but that's very fun. Oh, he's great in that. Really good. Yeah. That's a scrubby, desiccated sea creature that's great at repairing guitars. <laughs> Did you get the sense that uh, Jessica, who is Jessica Sloan, I should say, uh, mm-hmm. Lufa's wife, was kind of turned on by Sloan's speech here, I thought. I think Sloan's uh, self-eulogy really flooded her basement. <laughs> Yeah, she's like, finally, he's a, he's the emotionally available man that I had hoped I had married. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew this was in here somewhere. Too late now. Jessica's like, uh, I'm going to go get the pad with the ingredients to cure Odo because you're having a problem with your words, hubby. And uh, once she makes with the pad... Here you go, doctor. <laughs> Leather Sloan from the hallway shoots husband Sloan before he can give the pad to them, which is yeah. really cool because the beam splits between O'Brien and Bashir. It's, it's a great shot. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's awesome. It's devastating. The, the party is gone. They're, uh, they're alone in the wardroom now. And uh, I wanted the camera to like cut to the floor for that pad. Mm-hmm. I'd have it just, be, you know, just have the pad be gone or something. But like, I was like, the pad didn't get shot. Sloan got shot. So, right. so where's the pad? The pad's what we need. And in dream logic, like all the all the party guests have disappeared. Uh, yeah. the banquet table with all that food's gone. Uh, mm-hmm. The the turned on wife, also gone. The scene has changed. We cut back to reality, where in a darkened room, Sloan and and Bashir and. O'Brien are lying on their slabs and Cisco and Ezri are just kind of like walking among them going like, what are they doing in here? I wish they'd left one person awake to explain what's going on. And I guess this isn't some kind of obscure meditation therapy. Cisco, to his credit, is like, uh, we better get a medical team in here to figure this out because we don't quite know what we're looking at. And also security to stand outside the science lab because like a highly wanted criminal actor and two of our most important officers are in here unattended with the door unlocked, out unconscious. As soon as the security team is told that Sloan is immobilized in there, they're like, yeah, give me 
uh, between five and seven minutes and I'll be there. I just need to take care of something I've been meaning to do uh, and I haven't been able to do for like weeks. Uh, trust me, it won't take long. I'm ready to go. I need you to know that I'm going to be better at my job if I can just take care of this thing and then show up probably closer to like three or four minutes. Yeah, this sounds like the kind of mission that will take focus and no distractions. And honestly, like I could be... 100% better on both of those things in three minutes if you just can give me that. Look, I've already started doing the thing that I've told you I need to do before showing up to work. So I think honestly, we're talking about 90 seconds to two minutes tops and then I'll be over there. But again, and I can't emphasize this enough, this needs to happen for me to be effective at my job. Listen, step one, replicate a tube sock. Step two, get out an iPad. Like it's gonna go lickety split you're not you're it, it would blow your hair back if you could be here in the room for it but honestly that's kind of the problem that i'm trying to solve for so you can't <laughs> those poor security people have have had an entire career of maybe a drinking glass being odo in their room and also the possibility of sloan just appearing at any moment at any given time <laughs> more, more, more. Bashir and O'Brien in the dream leave the wardroom and find themselves not on Deep Space Nine anymore, but in a Federation hallway of some kind. They're walking around. They get set upon by another Section 31 leather daddy who phasers both of them. We need to speak to... But the phaser wounds are painful and they're like trying to wrap their minds around this like this is supposed to be a fucking dream like who cares about a phaser at this point in time i would have expected o'brien to start to fall apart because he's a guy who's been to mind prison before yeah Uh, he's been fucked with in this way and it hasn't gone well but uh but what's happened here is they're both uh cranky and hurt by this experience yeah. And Bashir is like, you know what, enough of this. I'm going to uh, Sloan and program, uh, but he can't make it work. <laughs> they try to give up, and they fail. Yeah. They fail to fail. This is something I don't understand. Doesn't make sense. O'Brien should be mad. You're totally right. Like, I don't think that it was sold to him as there is a risk of us dying or being hurt going in here. It's just to, it's just to put on the, the VR goggles and laugh at how cool VR is for three minutes until it makes you nauseous and then you have to take off the VR goggles. He gives voice to a question I think we've had over the course of many years talking about Star Trek, which is what is the mission that rises to the level of doing a bigger goodbye than usual before you go to work, you know? Right. Because he's regretting never seeing his wife and kid again in a way that I don't feel like you and I were told we'd never see Keiko and Molly again. (laughs) The show sort of did that to us already. We know exactly how that feels to have uh, yeah. to possibly lose a couple of people that you care a lot about. Yeah, he he wishes he'd written them a letter and that would have been an interesting scene. It would have been interesting, like getting to this point in writing the script. It would have been interesting if they'd been like, no, let's go back and write it that like they know that this is a huge risk and have him say like, hey, I'm going spelunking in the mind of this terrible guy i'm guilty of a terrible crime doctor and it's a big risk but i gotta do it for odo like that would have been an interesting scene 
And you could have given, given Rosalind Chow a little uh, on-screen yeah. time. Keiko would obviously be sad, but I think a not insignificant part of her character would feel like this was a mercy death. Like, finally, O'Brien is free. And finally, Keiko is free, too. Right. Anyways, they're, they're sitting there kind of bemoaning what has happened to them when the light at the end of the tunnel shows up. Uh, down one of the hallways and they 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 sort of realize that this is death beckoning and they walk out and instead of dying it's them waking up in the science lab with Worf and Cisco there to uh as the welcoming committee and uh, and a nurse who and they're telling they're telling them like hey Sloan is actually like right on the brink of death and uh there's there's uh there's no way we're letting you like stay in there with him because he could take you down with him. They wake up and Sloane's already in his torpedo tube. <laughs> yeah, they're like we're just doing this now as a policy. You know, anybody could be a changeling, so we we put them inside one of these so if they explode when they die, it can uh contain some of the blast. This scene before they pop out of Sloane's brain felt like they approached saying something really interesting but didn't have the nerve as a show to actually say it, you know? You mean the thing about O'Brien and Bashir liking each other more than yeah. O'Brien and Keiko? Yeah. You could sense that they're approaching saying something that could be that could be off putting to people. Yeah. Or or significant in a different way. And uh and it seems like the scene gets interrupted in such a way that they don't get that chance. And so you get kind of the bends, like because they they approach this moment in their relationship uh, and then they emerge from Sloan's mind and then they're right back into into mission priorities. That's interesting because like I know lots of couples where, you know, like the people in them will declare that their partner is also their best friend and other couples where that never felt true but that doesn't make me feel like they don't love each other and have a, a really deep connection as a couple right and a lot of the time there is a value judgment placed on one or the other like oh like if you're saying your wife is your best friend there's something wrong with you or oh if your wife isn't your best friend there's something wrong with you and i think that there is interesting writing to be done on it works differently for different couples and that would have been a nice thing to see here, but I agree they kind of didn't didn't sink their teeth into it as much as they did they could have. Yeah, I agree. Bashir tries to get the nurses to save Sloane, but their efforts fail and Sloane is dead. Yeah. I think that is the second of three times that Sloane dies in this episode. <laughs> what I love about Star Trek is that they play you the single brass instrument of a loss of hope in this scene. So I'm willing to believe that Sloane's actually dead. Yeah. Like, the, like <laughs> the show knows the technologies it uses to suggest a thing has happened, including yeah, the single can, brass instrument. They can make it feel even more real by, by whipping out that flugelhorn. Right. Bashir heads back to his room and starts reading his book, which starts very late in the book it's uh the opening passage is uh is on like page 296 and bashir cites this as evidence that they are still in the simulation it's a it's the classic where we're still we're still inside the matrix plot device so he and o'brien uh keep poking around and they find their way into evil 
full leather daddy Sloan's office. This is section 31. They've made it into the Holy of Holies where all the all the secret info is kept. And this is a part of the brain that gets bangers dropped on it. And this is this is a technique that raises the tension here too. Not only are we running out of time, but bangers are getting dropped. You got Leather Sloan reclined in an office chair, kind of goading Bashir about all of this great intelligence all around him. Like, like there's not an inch of his desk that isn't covered in something secret and interesting. And it yeah. puts Bashir in the, into the position of having to, like, this is kind of the fallacy of the episode, right? Because I think the episode is suggesting that Bashir has a choice. Either he supermarket sweeps supermarkets, Sloan's <laughs> desk into his cart and like yeah. runs out of his mind with all this stuff as, as if he could possibly do that. Or he takes the necessary intelligence about the Odo cure and saves his own life. But I don't think like the show is telling us that he's at risk here, but I yeah. never felt like this was effectively portrayed because if Bashir were to stay long enough to gather all of the information on all of the bookshelves shelves of Sloan's mind, he'd die, and then he'd never be able to share that information with anyone anyway. You have to believe that the Sophie's choice is between destroying 31 or saving Odo, and that Bashir opts for saving Odo. But in order to believe that, the like lethality of staying in the simulation any longer needs to be, you know, you really need to buy that. And I just don't, I feel like because they've used so much misdirection and, and tricks to keep us in the simulation as long as, as we've been in, it's hard to believe since we've been stuck inside it, it's hard to also believe that it's going to kill them if he dies while they're still in. I think part of it, also is like a banger has such a different quality than a degrading hollow sweep program where you see the static and the shit happen in frame where you really get a sense of how much time you have left in that circumstance that a banger just doesn't give you enough information right it's kind of the the language of a ship being attacked to give us a sense of the degradation of of his mind but but maybe, yeah, maybe they should have gone with another way of illustrating that. It's fucking nuts because Bashir just leaves with the Odo pad, even though uh, he's got another hand. Yeah. So <laughs> O'Brien has two. Like, yeah. grab a couple of randoms and get the fuck out. Get the thing about Jerish Inio having a Section 31 person in his cabinet. Yeah. I want to see Inio go down. Even if, he, even if he's out of office, I want to see him impeached. You know? Yeah. Fuck that guy. It's worth it to send a message. Yeah. Grab that pad that says, how tons of people like to jack it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a spreadsheet of different materials. (laughs) Oh, this guy uses a a hand towel. This guy over here uses a roll of paper towels. I love that 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 pad has like a labeler sticker on the top that says that. (laughs) It's not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not a digital cover sheet to the information inside. No. It's actually labeled. So they uh, they don't waste any time. They uh, they get a hypo spray ready for Odo. Um, Odo alive looks a lot worse than Sloan did dead at this point. And uh, 
Bashir says, this ain't gonna hurt a bit. It's gonna hurt a lot. And administers the injection. I wish that uh, that he closed the lid to the tube on him. <laughs> Just in case. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I, it's interesting. I don't know how much more painful this can be than how bad Odo already seems to be. I thought they did a really great job of making him look even worse at the end of the episode than he did at the beginning. Because you really have to plan that out. Like, the stages of this need to be visual, and you need all 12 of them, or however many there are, you know? Yeah, however many shots he needs to be in, and what time has transpired in between. When did Star Trek characters start screaming in pain? That was a question I had when I watched this episode, you know, right off of the heels of the third season of Star Trek Discovery, where it seems like everyone is screaming as loud as they can when they're in pain. This would be that <laughs> Once moment, an episode. Right? <laughs> they, uh, they have a little celebration, O'Brien and Bashir. They've uh, once again broken into Quark's bar. Quark is really going to have to get Rom to replace that lock at this point, because they're also stealing expensive booze from behind the bar you never keep your good stuff in the speed well though i thought that was weird like it's just right there very strange so yeah some of the fancier stuff in certain bars gets kept under lock and key you yeah. know i think they need a a bar advisor on this show <laughs> yeah that would have been that would have been good is o'brien drinking bushmills that's protestant whiskey price is right ain't it? kind of looked that way yeah that's the same thing I love how they find the good stuff and then just take it to the dome. Yeah, they're pouring themselves like two-finger glasses of that and just knocking them back. Holy shit. So for some reason, O'Brien in this scene remembers that dinner is waiting, and this is a scene of science fiction to me because if you know that you have a dinner plan and you have made a choice to go to the bar and haven't told anyone about that choice... (laughs) And then, in order to cover your ass, you bring a friend to dinner so that you're putting off the big fight you're going to have by showing up late, by bringing a buddy to it? Oh, boy, O'Brien. All, all of this is terrible math. And and listen, like, think about the timing here. We're, we're talking about them in Quarks after hours, specifically. Yeah. When did the O'Briens eat? <laughs> that math doesn't check out. Yeah. The button on the episode is them heading to dinner and uh, O'Brien heading for the wood chipper. <laughs> Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here? Now, okay, okay, let's do it, do it. You know, there were four or five moments where this episode just didn't make any fucking sense at all. <laughs> but it was paced in such a way that the moment I started to have doubts about the logic, uh, we were just on to the next. Yeah. And that felt fairly intentional very christopher nolan-y in, yeah. in that way this is definitely a kind of star trek episode that we get from yeah. time to time uh the stuck in a hollow deck the what's it like in someone's mind type episodes and i feel like you can't compare those to any other kind of episodes you can only compare them to two kinds of that type and i thought uh of that genre of star trek episode i thought this was a fun one i did too i think it's it's very interesting to me that they gave an entire episode just to O'Brien and Bashir here in the end run. Like, I haven't been 
thinking about episodes in terms of like this is going to be a Kira episode, this is a Cisco episode, this is an O'Brien episode so much, but this one really felt like a little bottle where they were like, okay, we're just going to tell a very like focused, tight little story that has big implications for the the rest of the arc, but feels like a little break in the middle of that uh, of that long story arc. And um, I like it as that. I like the catching our breath uh, before the breathless conclusion, which I'm sure we're in for. Makes me wonder how intentional it may have been to just honor these two characters with an entire episode like this because it feels like the search for Odo's cure might have been a cozy A or B story in another episode's story, you know? Yeah, but I feel like Sloan getting a big finale was fun. Like I said, there is a really strong case to be made for having Odo be uh, killed in this this Mm -hmm. episode and having the, like weight of that uh carry storylines into the future like what if odo had died but they got the cure then they have this weird quandary like do we offer it to the founders do we sue for peace by saying we can cure your disease yes yeah like there's so many interesting directions you could take that i wonder if we're gonna get the moment where odo goes back to work and he's like all right who wants to go over the reports and he looks around the security (laughs) office and no one has showed up for work (laughs) and then when they finally do they are exhausted looking well uh nothing nothing exhausting to me about priority one messages adam do you want to see if we have any of those in the old inbox i mean we only do two because uh that's about as many times as we can do priority one in that amount of (laughs) time in a single day yeah feels like a couple of years ago ben we used to be able like we probably could have done more priority one messages when yeah, we were younger. In the, in the early days when we were younger. Yeah. Yeah. I have less stamina now. Sad. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. And it is about Closing Crawl, a podcast that you can find on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Closing Crawl is a new podcast about the Star Wars, the Clone Wars animated series. And each week we seek to answer questions such as, if recap podcasts about decades old TV shows were ships, and the greatest generation was the USS Enterprise, which podcast would be the USS Hood? Wow. (laughs) Or... Gonk droids. Snog, marry, or avoid. And who is more evil, the Republic or the Separatists? Wow. Closing Crawl welcomes all the Star Wars curious friends of DeSoto to join us. So once again, uh, you can find Closing Crawl on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Sounds like a fun Man. a fun riff on, on a very rich part of Star Wars... That that uh that Clone Wars animated series. I saw the uh, feature. There was a Clone Wars animated feature film that I actually saw in theaters, hmm. and I uh, I remember enjoying it. I 
And and I also remember like wishing I'd seen more of the animated series because it seemed like they were kind of drawing on beloved characters and storylines that I had no context for because I yeah. haven't watched any of that. Um, that sounds like a great podcast too. Closing crawl. If I if I uh, if I do my animated Star Wars rewatch that I've been meaning to do for years, I'll I'll be sure to check out Cr- Closing Crawl. That sounds like a lot of fun. Adam, our next message is from Josh and it's to Kristen and it goes like this happy anniversary to my Mzadi you introduced me to Voy that's short for Voyager and I introduced you to Deep Space Nine 13 years later the sky's the limit love you tons boy from what I've heard about uh, Voyager and what I know about Deep Space Nine it would seem as though uh, one of the two really made out better on that deal (laughs) (laughs) i would argue that uh the josh made out better how about that um uh, josh and Kristen's anniversary was in uh early october so sorry that that's so late um just checking here it looks like we are now seeing stuff booked into I, I see things as late as September 2021 20, on our calendar. So if you if you want awesome. to get a priority one message up against a specific date, uh, please think well in advance about that. Love to see it. Happy belated anniversary to Josh and Kristen. And uh, thanks for the support closing, closing crawl. And if you'd like to get a P1 on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where it's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Uh, I'm going to take a little bit of an unusual path to my drunk Shimoda, and I'm going to say two people. Mm. And this, this is like in keeping with the original drunk Shimoda ethos, right? Someone who is making a decision that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Someone acting in a way that could put other people in danger. Right. And uh, and for me, I just can't think of anyone else besides Gene Hackman and Hugh Grant <laughs> <laughs> for, deciding, for deciding to do extreme measures. And, yeah. you know, good for them for, for their careers surviving that decision. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, I mean... <laughs> kind of a lot at stake there and just a bewildering uh career choice a strange movie what's the pitch of your movie it's a movie about people being cruel to the unhoused right (laughs) that'll put butts in seats just two hours of that yeah what about you ben my drunk shimoda is bashir for his uh inelegant attempt to dance around the fact that this injection is going to hurt like hell and for how badly uh, Odo just saw right through him. Um, I love that. I love I love Odo just saying, like, don't bullshit a bullshitter, Doc. Give it to me straight. This is going to suck, right? I love medical interventions that work instantly, by the way. <laughs> no you know? shit. You ever gotten, like a, like, a blood blister under a fingernail and had a doctor, like, do the thing where they put a hole and release the pressure? I haven't. And, like, the pain just, like, goes away. It's amazing. That sounds really nice. That sounds like sweet release. Yeah. Almost worth the, like, nights of agony while your f- fucking hand feels like it's going to fall off before you get that. Yeah, almost. <laughs> Gotta get that, get that gold press action.
You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, uh, is are our final episodes of Deep Space Nine going to be worth the agony that got us here? It's a question that you'll answer when you tell us which episode's coming up next, and uh, it's a question that the Game of Buttholes Will of the Prophets will answer once I head over there. Yeah, head over to gach.biz slash game while I tell you about Season 7, Episode 24, The Dogs of War. With the Cardassian resistance crushed, the Federation war against the Dominion reaches the prelude to the fi- to one final showdown. The prelude, Adam. It's the penultimate episode of Deep Space Nine, and it's a prelude. Why do you keep saying it that way? <laughs> prelude. Was was your first car a Honda Prelude? <laughs> No, I didn't have any. I didn't have any nice cars. Yeah, that was a nice car when I was in high school. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. All right, Ben. Uh, I can't believe it, but we have we've crawled back quite a ways in the game of Buttholes Wool of the Prophets. We're uh, we're three rows from the top. We're on square seventy-five, and uh, just ahead we've got a nth degree episode that's about the only thing that we're in danger of hitting and really if you're me and you've done the statistical analysis which i have not but i've read about a twitter friend of DeSoto uh named jeremiah he's uh at j perry hill actually ran the numbers and says that i'm haunted by the ones in my 74 rolls a one has come up 20 times or 27 totally- percent of the time that's so wild. Yeah. So it's not just in my head. It's actually happening. Wow. All right. Well, uh, I'm getting ready for you to hit square 76, Adam, but uh, let's let fate decide. Go ahead and roll that bone. Uh, I have rolled a five. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Whoa! Which has put us on square 80. It's a regular old episode. Uh, and... You know what's fun about where we are is that when it comes time to roll the die again for our last, last, last episode of Deep Space Nine, just ahead is the no notes. 
square, wow. which would be a really <laughs> fun twist to put on a two-hour episode. <laughs> That's no big kidding. fun. Wow. All right, buddy. Well, uh, I am looking forward to next week's episode in a big way. I'm hoping folks who enjoy this program will uh, tell a friend about it. Maybe leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question for us that you'd like us to answer at the beginning of an upcoming episode, we might uh, we might be able to find it on Apple Podcasts if you leave that question in your review. You can also support us financially by going to MaximumFun.org slash join and set up a little monthly contribution. You'll get access to the bonus feed and you'll have our eternal gratitude. Big thanks, as always, to uh, our social media employee, Bill Tilly. I, I, he's not just an employee. He's a, he's a friend. He's this a friend. Like, he's a daddy. This is like that scene daddy. in Clear and Present Danger when the president's like uh, getting advised on how to describe a person involved in a scandal. Like mm-hmm. uh, you don't just say you don't just say that he's the card daddy. You say he's the best card daddy. <laughs> You don't just say he's the best card daddy. You say he's a he's one of the best card daddies that ever existed. It's Bill Tilly. Uh, he runs the ones and the twos on Twitter and Instagram. You can find both at Greatest Trek. Uh, we got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who made the original theme music for this program, and Dark Materia, who made the original Picard song upon which all of that is based. Goose hard at work on new theme music for the show, which will debut in a couple of weeks. I'm psyched to hear that. Uh, the Goose is so talented when it comes to the music that uh, it's almost a shame that he's making a wildly popular uh, YouTube channel <laughs> dedicated to cooking, which is uh, an even better use of his great talent. Indeed. I think that just about does it, Adam. Wow. Well, till next time, we'll be back at you with a another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine which may be better off just watching a mid-90s movie starring Hugh Grant and Gene Hackman MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.